All right, you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, the title of the sermon this morning is The Believer and God's Wisdom. And that's where I believe Paul is turning his attention in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16. Actually, this is part of a larger section that begins in verse 6. If you were here last Sunday night, you were able to, to take a few minutes with me to work through verses 6 through 9, where the subject was not the believer, but the lost person or lost people and the wisdom of God. Paul says in verse 6 that he does have a wisdom that he is able to impart or give to people. His wisdom is not the world's wisdom, it's God's wisdom, and it is only available to certain types of people. He says in verse 6 there that Paul gives his wisdom to the mature. I made the point last Sunday night, I believe that that is in reference to all believers. That is what Paul is saying in verses 6 through 9 and then 10 through 16 is that unbelievers are not able to understand God's wisdom, whereas believers can. Last week in verses 6 through 9, Paul proved in two ways that unbelievers cannot begin to understand the wisdom of God. If you look in your Bibles at verses uh, 7 and 8, he talks about the rulers of this age. And he proves from the historic event of the cross that unbelievers just don't get it. They're not in the know when it comes to the knowledge of God. And he uses the very brightest of his day who rejected Jesus Christ. He says the, the, the Jewish and Roman rulers who crucified Jesus are evidence that the brightest leaders in our world outside of Christ don't get it. Or they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. And then in your Bibles in verse 9, Paul proved it from Scripture as well. And he quotes Isaiah 64, 4, when he talks about no eye seeing or ear hearing, or he says it, that it hasn't even entered the heart or the mind of men, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And his point with that quote from Isaiah is that lost people, it doesn't even enter their heart or mind. God's wisdom. So we get to verse 10, there's a big contrast, but God has revealed these things to us through the Spirit. So this morning, in verses 10 through 16, we'll look at the believer's ability to understand God's wisdom. In these verses, Paul will present the case that God's wisdom is available to spiritual people, to believers. And so this morning, we'll see the enablement of unlikely people. In our scripture reading this morning, we read Jesus' words. Remember them? Jesus said that the wise and the understanding don't get God's wisdom, but children do. Those who are humble and dependent do. They get grace. And so we, believers, are the unlikely objects of God's grace. And in verses 10 through 16, we'll explore that a little bit more. 
To understand verses 10 through 16, really, there are just two major ideas that you need to grasp. You get these two ideas, I think the text will make much more sense to you. Two principles. Paul rests his whole argument on two foundational principles. Principle one is found in verses 10 and 11. Here he will show us that the Holy Spirit fully understands God's wisdom. Look with me down in verse 10. He says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The first part of Paul's argument is that the Holy Spirit fully understands God. That's what you've got to take away from verses 10 and 11. The Spirit searches God and knows him. So in the first part of verse 10, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. He shows that although the intellect of mankind is not able to understand the things of God, the things that he has prepared for those who love him, we do, or we can, because God has revealed it to us through the agency of the, of the Holy Spirit. One of the interesting or perhaps more difficult things in verse 10 is to figure out what Paul means uh, by the word us. Who's he talking about? And all throughout this text, it's actually one of the most difficult parts, but um, it may be that when Paul says God has revealed this to us, that he's talking about himself and all of the believers in Corinth. So he's writing a letter to believers in the Corinthian church. He says, God has revealed those hidden deep things of his wisdom to us. It may be that he's describing all believers. But I don't think that's what he's doing in verse 10. He's going to get there, and we will this morning too. But in verse 10 in your Bible, when when Paul says God has revealed it to us, I think he's describing himself and some of the other preachers of the gospel the apostolic preachers of the gospel, like Paul and Peter and Apollos or Timothy. And so Paul, I believe, is describing himself and the other apostles. He says, God has revealed it to us through the Spirit. Um, We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But then, what has he revealed to the apostles so that they might reveal it in their preaching? That's the Last part of verse 10 and all of verse 11. Paul shows us that the content of God's hidden wisdom is the full possession of the Holy Spirit. And he makes the point that the Holy Spirit of God fully understands God because, first, he examines God. He examines God. He says in verse 10 in your Bibles that the Holy Spirit searches or scrutinizes all things. He searches all things, even the depths of God. Now, when Paul says depths, he uses a word that would be used normally for the the deepest recesses of the sea or of some deep river where in their age and time, they could not plunge. Okay? They, they could not pursue the deepest parts of the sea. Yet, 
he's saying the Holy Spirit is able to search or scrutinize all things, even the mighty, unfathomable depths of the Father's wisdom. Do you see what he's saying here? The Holy Spirit examines God. And then verse 11, and he comprehends him. He knows him. Verse 11. Then in verse 11, Paul appeals to our human bodies as an illustration and asks a question. He says, uh, what person can, can know for certain, without a shadow of a doubt, what another person is thinking? If I were to ask you to try to read my mind this morning, I'm up here, a bunch of eyeballs looking at me, right? Wonder what that guy is thinking about. Then I'd ask you to say, okay, okay, what's Pastor Brent thinking about? Most of you would probably miss it, right? I mean, unless you really know me and you take a good guess, you would know that I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about lunch right now, okay? So unless you said food, you'd be wrong, and you would have no confidence in it. And Paul's point is the only the only thing that really can, can be certain is the spirit of the person himself. Okay, and that's what he's doing in verse 11. Now, the word spirit here is a little bit of a flexible term in Greek. It means something like the interior of the human being or his inmost part. The spirit of a man is a, the near equivalent of his mind, of his mind. But I don't think that Paul's point is to teach us an object lesson on the different parts of the human being, give us an anthropological lesson. His point is to use that human illustration. No one really knows what I'm thinking except my innermost being. Just as that is true, no one really knows the mind and the thoughts of the Father except his spirit. His spirit. So principle number one is that the Holy Spirit understands God. He knows God from the inside out. He possesses full knowledge of God's wisdom and knowledge. Okay, so then principle number two. I said there are only two, so the sermon must be wrapping up, right? Principle number two is found in verses 12 through 16, and these build on top of each other. So principle one, number one, the Holy Spirit fully understands God. Principle two, because believers receive the Holy Spirit, they can perceive God's wisdom as well. Okay, so because believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, they can begin to perceive God's wisdom as well. That's how I'd summarize verses 12 through 16. And uh, we'll see the Spirit's enablement here is threefold. Now, to be honest with you, we've got, a, we've got some, like, uh, you know, some, some good teaching material in verses 12 and 13 that I need to get to you. And if you'll hang with it, by the time you get to like verses 14, 15, and 16, I think you'll find yourselves really blessed by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, let's look at this enablement that comes in three ways. First, in verse 12, we see that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, enabled 
the apostolic preachers to know God's, God's things. Look in your Bible at verse 12. Now we, I think that's Paul and the apostles again, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who's from God, so that we might understand the, th the things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit enabled the apostolic preachers to know God's things. Of course, one of the important things to discover again is who is the we here? And again, some people would say it's all believers. People is like, uh, I was just reading this this week, D.A. Carson thinks it's Paul and his readers, the Corinthians. So some good Christians think in verse 12, he's talking about all believers here. But I think it's, it's more specifically the apostolic preachers. And the reason I think that is because of verse 13. Okay, and so you look down in your Bible in verse 13. Just grant it to me for a second. It's the apostolic preachers know God's thing. Number two, the Spirit also enabled the apostolic preachers to speak God's things. Verse 13. And we impart. The word impart is, comes from a word that means speak. And we speak about or speak these things. In words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So not only did the Spirit empower the preachers to know God's things, he also empowered them to speak about or talk about God's things. The reason I think the we of verse 13 would be the apostles like Paul and Apollos and Peter is because Paul uses the same exact pronoun and verb that he used in verses 6 and 7. Look in your Bibles at verse 6. It says, yet among the mature, we impart wisdom. Now, who's the we in verse 6? We keep reading, and it's clear Paul's talking about himself and some of the apostles. Look at verse 7. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. Who's the we of verse 7? The we of verse 7 would be Paul and the apostles. They are speaking God's revelation that he revealed to them about the cross of Jesus Christ, about the significance of the cross. They're speaking frequently of God's wisdom in verses 6 and 7. And so then down in verse 13, Paul uses the exact same verb, the exact same pronoun to describe himself and the apostles again. Not only have we received these things, not only do we as the apostles know these things, we speak about them in verse 13. And the apostles did this by explaining spiritual truths to spiritual people. You see that in your Bible at the end of verse 13? That little phrase is difficult, explaining spiritual truths to spiritual people. What in the world does that mean? Well, you think if, if that is hard to understand, you should read the original. Three words, explaining spiritual with spiritual. I supplied the word with to make sense. Explaining spiritual, spiritual. It's hard to know exactly. I was reading one commentary and I found seven different possibilities. 
I, I think this translation is a good one. Explaining spiritual truths to spiritual people, or it could be explaining the spirit with spiritual truths. Either way, what Paul is saying here is that the apostles like himself, Apollos, Timothy, Peter, they talk about God's things because God's spirit has revealed it to them and enabled them to say it. That leads to the really rich part for edification this morning. So thank you for paying close attention. Now look at verse 16. The third way the Spirit enables us, actually verses 14 through 16, is the Spirit enables believers to appraise all things. So he's been talking about himself and the other apostles for a long time, but now he finally gets to the place where he describes the benefit of the Spirit to believers. So apostolic ministers are enabled to know and speak God's things, but we believers are enabled through the Spirit as well. Now, in order for him to get there, what he does is he talks first about the natural man, and then he talks about the spiritual man. And so look in your Bibles at verse 14 about the natural person or lost people, those who don't know Christ. What can we expect out of them? Verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Here he's basically telling us that lost people are at a deficit that they cannot overcome in their own strength when it comes to understanding the things of the Spirit of God or understanding God's wisdom. He says they cannot receive the things of God, verse 14. And he says, he gives us two reasons. First, unsafe people do not receive the things of God because the things of God are foolishness to them. You see, lost people don't even want to receive it because it doesn't make sense. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said that the Greeks respond to Christ crucified or the Messiah being crucified by saying that it is utter foolishness, right? You remember that in chapter 1? It's foolishness to them. And so lost people, they don't understand God's wisdom because it's just foolishness to them. Then he gives a second reason. Unsaved men and women do not receive the things of God because they cannot understand them. And the reason they cannot understand them is because God's things can only be spiritually appraised. So that last little phrase means because they, God's things, the things of the Spirit, are only spiritually discerned. In other words, if you're going to understand God's things, you need the Spirit. Because it, it only comes to us through a spiritual appraisal. Lost men and women just can't get it. They're at a deficit that they cannot overcome. This past week, I introduced my children to a show. Um, it was an older show, which I like to occasionally do that for them on TV. Um, I don't know if you like murder mysteries, 
Uh, but uh, I just saw it on the channels there, and it was Murder, She Wrote. Okay, now, I have to admit, in, in, you know, first time ever in a public gathering uh, that I, I like murder mysteries, like Murder, She Wrote, or Matlock, or something like that. Uh, having said that, I know Pastor Paul's going to make fun of me uh, <laughs> all week, but of course he talked about persecution, uh, and so I'm ready for it. And I have to say that I, I had my children watch a little Murder, She Wrote, and um, one of my children, who remained nameless, I think, believes it was a mild form of child abuse <laughs> uh, to watch this show. But you, you know how these shows go, right? There is, uh, you're introduced to five or six characters throughout the, the plot of the story. And then, you know, who's, who's ever, whoever is on the stand with like 10 or 15 minutes left to go, and Matlock, he did it. Now, how would you respond? You're trying to figure out this mystery. If at the end, you know, the guy's on the stand and you're introduced with 10 minutes left to go in the show to a character you've never seen before. He hasn't been in the show. He's like the gardener, but no one ever talked about him. Well, you would say something like, how in the world was I supposed to figure this one out, right? I mean, there's no way someone watching the show can figure it out because their piece is missing. It's a terrible show, right? Men and women, I think what Paul is demonstrating here is that lost men and women are at a deficit. It is impossible for them to understand the things of God. They're missing pieces and the significance of those facts. You say, well, what do we do with lost people then? I mean, how do we reach them? Uh, one of the things I like to do is have them read their Bible, right? Go through the Gospel of John and read that. Now, why would we invite lost people to read the Bible if they can't understand the things of God? Well, you know, we're really entering into a really difficult controversy here. I think the way that I would ex explain this is lost people can make sense out of intellectual facts in the Bible. You know, Bethany is so many miles away from Jerusalem, so I think lost people can understand that. They can understand facts of science in history and, and so on. But what I believe is that anything that goes beyond mere intellectual knowledge to the fact where they're understanding it, they're comprehending it, they're processing the importance of those facts, requires the Spirit of God. If a lost person is going to comprehend or understand the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ and Him resurrected, that requires the Spirit of God. And most definitely, if they're going to receive it, right? If they're going to accept it for themselves, it requires the Spirit's work. You say, preacher, where in the world in the Bible do you see that? I say, verse 14. Look at the text again. It says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Why? Well, because they're folly to him. And here's another reason. They're not able to comprehend them, the things of God, because the things of God are only acquired through spiritual appraisal. Spiritual appraisal. So I do think it's good to have someone 
read the Gospel of John, but as I do that, I need to pray that the Holy Spirit would enable that person to begin to comprehend and then accept what they read about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And so in verse 14, we see the deficit of unsaved men and women. But then in verses 15 and 16, we see what I call the assessment of the saved man. So as a spiritual person, verse 15, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no man. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I think Paul's making two statements about believers in verses 15 and 16. First, he basically says no one will be able to properly judge or appraise him. He uses the same word for discerned right before this in verse 14. He'll use it again later on in this text. He'll use it three times in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, this word judged or appraised. No one properly judges or appraises the believer. I think what he's basically demonstrating here is that the world is incapable of properly appraising or evaluating the believer. The world just can't make sense out of us, right? You know, why in the world would you go and listen to someone talk about an ancient book every week for 45 minutes? Or however long that guy goes up there. Why would you do that? Or why, why would you, on a Wednesday night in the middle of the week, I mean, you're running around, you can barely even get food in your mouth, why would you go to a time where you would pray together and talk together to some people perhaps that you don't even really know that well. Why would you do that? Or why would you give so much of your income to the church? I mean, what is that all about? Have you ever attempted to explain the significance of the cross and the resurrection to a lost person at work? And you do it and you think you're so clear. Jesus died for your sins. You're a sinner. You need Jesus. It's the only way you can be delivered by God. And then you explain the fact, not only did Jesus die, but he rose again for your sins so that you would be accepted, you could be accepted by God. If you just believe in Jesus and you repent of your sins, God will accept you. And you get to the end and the person is just staring at you like you're an alien. Man, let me, let me work through it again. John, John 3, 16. Romans. And make it as clear as we can, but sometimes, I mean, unless the Spirit of God helps that person, won't understand the significance of these things. It's like a man born blind trying to experience the colors of a rainbow. Lost people cannot properly assess us. As Pastor Paul was saying this morning, I think the more that we actually embrace God's wisdom as believers and live in light of it, I think the more lost people will think that we're foolish. Tip. more we live in light, if, if they think the cross is foolishness, and how about the people that give their whole life to living in light of it and telling other people about it? 
they should think of us as being foolish. And so, last part of verse 15 there, no one properly appraises the believer. But then the first part of verse 15, I think he's making another point, and that is, but believers appraise all things. Although the saved man is not properly appraised by anyone, he can or she can appraise all things. Look at the beginning of verse 15 just to make sure you see it in your Bible. The spiritual person judges all things. And I would take this as he assesses, he appraises, he evaluates properly all things. Not saying we're always going to live in obedience, right? But we can understand it, the significance of it. We can understand the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. Why can we understand the world's wisdom? Because that's what we were. That's what we follow. Why can we understand God's wisdom? The Spirit of God helps us to understand it. I like what Gordon Fee says here. He explains it this way. Listen to what he says. He says, The profane person cannot understand holiness. You with me? The profane person cannot understand holiness, but the holy one can understand the depths of evil. Got it? That's Paul's point in verse 15. We are able to appraise all things. And I think that will make more sense to us as we look at verse 16, my favorite verse in this whole section. And I'm glad it's at the end. Verse 16, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? That could also be translated like this. Who has understood the mind of the Lord or has been able to advise him? So Paul's question is who can possibly understand God's mind or give advice to him? Now, you'll notice if you've got an ESV that that part of the verse is in quotation marks. Because the translators think it comes from a place in Paul's Bible, the Old Testament. And so let me invite you just for a second, keep your finger here, and turn over to Isaiah chapter 40 in your Old Testament scriptures. Isaiah chapter 40. This is an amazing chapter that the prophet Isaiah writes to the southern kingdoms of Judah and Jerusalem, they soon will find themselves in a foreign land under captivity in exile in Babylon. And so Isaiah writes chapter 40 as a means of encouraging these people. When that happens, and when you're in a strange land and you have no hope, find your hope in God. We know the end of this text, right? Verse 31, but those who wait upon the Lord, they will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not be weary. They'll walk and not faint. I mean, a good portion of what Isaiah does in chapter 40 is he is uh, giving or renewing a vision for the creator God in the lives of people who have been carried away in captivity. Look at verse 12. Isaiah says, Who has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? I preached on this text many months ago, right? And I said, if you were to ask scientists how much water there is in the world, they would say 386 quintillion gallons of water, approximately. But if you were to ask God 
how much water is there in this world, he would say about this much. Who has measured the waters of the earth in the hollow of his hand? Who has marked out the heavens with the span? Who could measure the entire solar system and say it's about this far? Who enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and hills in a balance? The answer to all these questions undoubtedly is God, right? God is the only one who could do that. He is transcendent. He is above all creation. Look at verse 13. Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? And who has been God's counselor or advisor? These questions in verse 13, Paul loosely alludes to or quotes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I mean, stay in Isaiah there for a moment. And with those two questions in verse 13, what is Isaiah's expected answer? Who could possibly measure God's spirit? Or his mind? Or, or who could give advice to God? Who could be an advisor to God? Isaiah's answer is, you can say it all together if you know it. What's the answer? No one. You got it. Very good. No one, no one could possibly do that. Isaiah is writing to encourage people who feel like God is completely out of control. He's got no power. And so he says in Isaiah 4, 40, he's the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He never faints or grows weary. And these two questions, no one could possibly understand or measure his spirit and no one could give counsel or advice to him. Now go back to 1 Corinthians. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul closes out this section by quoting or alluding to that text. For who could understand the mind of the Lord or who could advise him? And we would expect the same answer, right? No one. But what is the answer? Stated emphatically, the very first word, and he doesn't even need to use this word. You just use a verb with the pronoun in it, but he, pr he provides the pronoun. He says, we ourselves have the mind of Christ. Paul's answer to this question is a bit different than Isaiah's. Isaiah's was, no one can possibly understand the mind of God. Paul's answer is, we, the Corinthian believers, we can begin to understand the things of God. Why? Because we've got the Spirit of God. I think the mind of Christ here is roughly synonymous to the Spirit of God. Isaiah emphasizes God's transcendence and sovereign wisdom and mankind's inability. We can't understand him. Paul accents the imminence of God. He is here. He is knowable. How's God knowable? Well, he's knowable to us because we've got his spirit within us who enables us to begin to understand the things of God. And so through the spirit of God, we can understand the very thoughts of Christ. If you've got notes this morning, you'll know that at the end of those notes, I gave a quotation from D.A. Carson. 
in a book entitled The Cross and Christian Ministry. And I want to read you Carson's comment on this text. He starts out with, What a great God we have! Exclamation point. I've actually heard Carson talk about the fact that in academic writings, you should never really use exclamation points, but he breaks his own rule here. What a great God we have! Exclamation point! Not only does he redeem us through the crucifixion of his much-loved Son, but he sends us his Spirit to enable us to understand what he has done. So obtuse and blind are we that we would not have begun to grasp what God has freely given us unless God had taken this additional step. See, Carson here talks about double grace. God has been so good to us as believers. He not only sent the second person of the Godhead, his son, to die on a cross and rise again so that we would be accepted. He also sent the third member of the Godhead to believers to help them to understand the significance of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we read Paul's answer. We have the mind of Christ. We ourselves have the mind of Christ. So how do we respond to this? A moment of quiet prayer, I'd first encourage you, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and through the Spirit, He has revealed to you the significance of Christ and the cross, and you've repented of your sins, so that you might begin to be, understand the deep things of God, I would first encourage you to thank Him this morning. <laughs> thank you, God. I'm like Carson saying, I'm blind and obtuse. I wouldn't have got it. But then you brought the Spirit and you helped me see it. Night helps me understand your wisdom even more. So we thank God. I would also encourage you, how do you respond to this? I sat in my uh, kitchen table or dining room table last night. I, I just, this is a question. How do I respond to this? And one of the ways I think that God led me to, to think about or consider is, I need to read my Bible this week. I need to read my Bible this week. Spend God, pursue God in prayer, meditation, and reading, and he will open your eyes to behold wonderful things from his word. This morning I was doing a little bit of research, and I, I, I came across someone online who said that if you were to read the Bible out loud, it would take you 54 hours 54 hours. And then I came across some t statistics that say that most Americans watch more TV or videos on their devices than that in three weeks. In three weeks. Read our Bibles. Why? Because God through the Spirit will begin to help us understand the deep things of God. We'll understand more of Him. You know, if you were to read one hour a day, I'll give you Sundays off, okay? One hour a day, you could read the whole way through the Bible in two months. Two months. Yet the church is full of believers who have never read the whole way through their Bible. See, men and women, 
We have something that the lost don't have. The natural person is at a deficit. He can't get it unless the Spirit reveals it to him. But saved men and women, we have the mind of Christ. And the Spirit enables us to understand the things of God. Let's pray together. Give you just a moment of quiet reflection. The sermon has been on the believer and God's wisdom. If you are a believer and you know Christ is your Savior, I would encourage you first to thank God. Thank God for his gift of the Spirit. And then I would encourage you to determine to know more of God through the Word of God. Consider this week even how you might spend more time in His Word to better know the Father. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the privilege of being here. What a great text to consider. It all builds to Isaiah's question. Who could possibly understand the mind of the Lord? Or who could be his advisor? But then Paul's answer is startling. We, ourselves, as a New Testament church, we have Christ's mind. I believe through the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to pursue you in your word. And then to live in light of what your Spirit reveals to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.